You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. What is happening? It's on the You're listening to the AME Radio Show. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Jason Dowd. we got a great show for you guys today, so sit back, relax, and enjoy as we talk about everything art, music, and entertainment. Now, today's topic that I'm going to be bringing up is not necessarily art-related. In fact, it's not art-related at all, but it's something that everybody's impacted with, and if you haven't been impacted with it by, by now, you probably will sometime soon, because it's been going around like wildfire, and we're going to be talking about some scams, and it's very important to understand what you're dealing with, identify the scam, and what to do about it. So we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Plus, we have two great guests coming up. In fact, one of our guests is going to be talking about an old-fashioned art form that we t- tend to overlook as an art form. But man, it's a lot of fun, and I haven't had a chance to talk to, to anybody about this on my show before, so this is going to be a first for the AME Radio Show. So we're going to be talking about that in a little bit, too. So first, before we get into anything, go check out our website, www.theamemagazine.com. You can check it out anytime you want. When you go there, it has links to all of our social media networks. So if you are on social media, please follow us, like us, or whatever the terminology is. Just go ahead and and, uh, be a part of that as well. And there are links to our apps. So if you have an Android or Apple app, you'll be able to click those little links and it'll take you right to those pages where you can download them for free. A cool new way of following us. Now, as I mentioned last time, the Apple app had a problem because the guy that was designing it for us and the guy that was hosting it for us on their Apple account decided, guess what? I'm not going to do it anymore. So he just deleted it. Yay! (laughs) So uh, I have been working really hard. We found a great designer. He's going to be creating the new app. In fact, it's almost done and we'll be having it up very soon so the Apple one will be completely functional again. But if you still have the old app, don't delete it. It still works. You just can't download a new version of it yet. Okay? So, let's talk about scams, okay? This is uh this is something that really really gets to me because I see so many people getting scammed out of things and it's a real tragedy because it impacts so many people in so many different ways. It could destroy somebody financially. People can lose their, their, their property. They can do so many bad things to people. And the problem with it is, is it sounds believable. And in our hearts, I know that we want to believe that nobody's scamming us. But let's, let's talk about this one here. In fact, it, it happened with my friend who actually put on his radio show. He, he recorded the, video, the audio of it, and it was, it was mind-boggling how believable this was. But it, basically, it's an IRS scam. I've been having it about two to three times a day on my telephone, and they keep calling, keep calling, keep calling, so it makes it sound like it is something that's really there. Anyways, what they do is they call up, and they say, Oh, well, you have you owed back taxes or you did your taxes wrong and the IRS calculated it and therefore you owe you owe us so much x amount of money and instead of having you pay it if you don't pay it right now, the IRS is going to come and arrest you, okay? Now that's scary. You know, and we all know that that's a very big possibility. It can happen. So, I think we tend to say we put our our best interest aside. And say, okay, yes, this is probably real. But when you get on the phone, they want wire transfers. They want all kinds of different things. And I'll, I'll tell you about that anyways. But one of the things that you should, you should first know about the IRS, the IRS will never, ever call you for any reason regarding matters like that. If you owe money, they send you a letter. And they send you a letter on IRS letterhead. That is how you know that you owe money. And believe me, I know because I've had it happen to me quite a few times. If there's any correspondence that comes from a tax that, that like, let's just say you didn't pay enough taxes. Um, like, for one year, I paid, I was supposed to pay $135.03, okay? I paid $135.06, okay? And they sent me a letter saying I overpaid them and they were charging me and hit me with penalties and interest and everything else. 
I got overcharged for three cents. But they wrote to me and they had me resubmit all my paperwork and everything else just to make sure I didn't I was right or they were wrong or whatever it was. And then they and then they charged me. So the IRS always does everything through paper, and that's because through paper, if there's any discrepancies or if somebody has says something, it's not his word against their word. It is paper upon paper. So if they have to go to court or anything like that, they have the physical proof. Anything that's done by phone, unless it's recorded, which none of them do, and the IRS will not record you, then they have nothing to help them. Now, you can call the IRS and say, look, you know, I have a question about this, this, and this, and they will answer it, but they don't call you. So that should be the very first flag that comes up. Second of all, every time they call you, it's a foreigner in a foreign accent, mostly Indian, and they become very aggressive. Now, one of the things that I thought was funny, they called it the official magistrate courts. We don't have official magistrate courts here. We just have federal courts or federal magistrate courts. We just have federal courts, municipal courts, county courts, city courts, depending on where you live and, and, and the structures that you have. So we don't have magistrates, which means that they're not part of this country and probably have never been in this country. Then they say that the IRS will not take the money themselves because you are they are trying to go after you and throw you in jail. So they don't want to take the money themselves. You have to go through the district attorney. Now, the district attorney has nothing to do with the IRS whatsoever. The district attorney is only a district attorney for the city or the county or the state, okay? The IRS is federal, so you won't deal with that type of situation. And if you do go to court over the IRS, it is in a federal court, just saying. So that's the second thing that should raise your eyebrows. The third thing about it is is how they want to get paid, some of them want an iTunes gift card. I'm like, wait a second here. You want $5,000 in iTunes gift card? Why? How's that spendable? It's not. And then I did a little research, and it finds, and I found out that you can buy Bitcoins and other types of di- cryptocurrencies with these types of uh, these types of gift cards. You know, the uh, the Walmart gift card or the the iTunes gift card or the Amazon gift card. You can transform those into bitcoins. So what they're going to do is they're going to take that money. If you say if you pay them with a cashier's check or a bank check, obviously it's traceable. With this, it's not traceable. You hand it to them. You you pay them the money. They turn it into cryptocurrency. It is no longer traceable. So they can do whatever they want with it. They can cash it out for money. They can cash it out for whatever they want. And they are scot-free, untraceable worldwide. Pretty scary, huh? My best advice to you is if you have doubts about it, I mean, how could you sit there and make a $5,000 mistake on your taxes? Most of us don't do our taxes ourselves. So how could a professional that's done hundreds of thousands of taxes a year screw up that badly, especially on somebody that only makes about $50,000 a year or less. Most people don't, most people that don't bring in a couple thousand dollars, you know, over $100,000 will never have to pay $5,000 in taxes. Another flag. So if you have a question and you say, okay, you know what? I understand. I understand what you're going through. And if you have doubts, if that's legit or not, first of all, look at those signs. If you can't tell, call the IRS directly. That's all you got to do. Just call them directly. And they do actually call you with a Washington, D.C. phone number, the 202 area code. So that makes it a little bit more believable, but believe me, it's not. All right, guys, so that's all I have for you today. Hopefully that you will take that advice and analyze anything that comes your way. It doesn't have to just be that scam. Always analyze your scams and see if it's something that is real or not. And if you don't trust it, Always call the company directly, especially if there's a lot of things with like your, your utility companies too uh, that try to get money out of you. If you don't trust it, call them directly. All right, so our first guest today is Cynthia McGregor. She is an author, a ghostwriter, and she's coming out with some new TV shows. We're going to be interested to talk to her about that, see what those are all about. Then we have Douglas Smythe coming on in that art form that I was telling you about earlier that is a lost art form. It's an art form of shaving. Men do it all the time, and he's got some amazing products but also loves the art of shaving. So we're going to be talking to him about that. 
All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have Cynthia on the phone, so don't go anywhere. Do you love horror, the strange and unusual fantasy creatures or urban legends? Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> Hi, this is Dina Martin, and you are listening to the AME Radio Show. It's fantastic. One of my favorites. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have on the line with us our special guest. Her name is Cynthia McGregor. She is the author of over 100 books, if you can believe that. That's a lot of writing. She does adult books, kids' books, and even cookbooks. And she's a ghostwriter. So we're going to be talking to her about her passion for writing and some of the stories that she's done and some other things that she has probably coming up. So welcome to the show, Cynthia. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. So... A hundred books. <laughs> well, then you're then you're then you're listening to my sign off, which I sometimes use on my email, which is "Make it a great day," because after all, Jason, we have within our power to a great, not total, but great extent, to make our days what they are, and not just go along with the flow, but take control. Oh, you can't! You you're so right with that. That's for sure. I'm sorry. You were about to say something, and I think I talked over you. <laughs> That's okay. I'm just I'm just amazed that you have been able to write over a hundred books. How many years have you been writing to to accomplish a feat like that? Well, first of all, Jason, let me tell you my age, which helps somewhat. I'm seventy-four. Okay. I don't feel it, look it, or act it. And my, my friends and acquaintances and clients frequently refer to me as the Energizer Bunny or the Battery Bunny because I just keep going and going and going. But I am 74. I had my first book published in 1993 or four. I think it might have been accepted in 93 but published in 94. And I just haven't stopped except to work on clients' work and other types of work. I, uh, first of all, Jason, I am a freelance writer and editor, which means that I not only write books, but I write magazine articles, uh, mostly for a local uh, lossy magazine called The Parklander, which I contribute at least one article to every month, and sometimes for other publications as well. But also, Jason, I um, work on projects for clients which can include ghost writing books for them, uh, which are not included in my tally of over 100 published books. Uh, ghostwriting books for them, editing books that they've written but that need editing, um, writing business content for business clients, oh, and a wealth of other things. And then in addition, uh, as I believe I mentioned to you when we first got in contact, I had uh, two... TV shows that aired locally in the South Florida viewing area. They're both off the air now, but I'm chasing a new local channel to see if I can get my 
second show back on the air, this time with them. The first show was called Solo Parenting, and it was addressed to single parents, whether divorced, widowed, or never married, but people who were raising kids or helping to raise kids, in the case of uh, shared custody, uh, on their own. And the second show was called Younger Every Day, and the tagline pretty much explained it. The tagline was the show that helps you look, act, and feel younger no matter what your driver's license says. (laughs) So (laughs) I get involved in a variety of projects. I don't sit here writing books all day. I sit here writing or editing pretty much all day. I'm at my computer now as I'm talking to you. But uh, I don't necessarily work on writing books. I may be writing a book or I may be uh, working on a project for a client or I may be working on marketing my book because, after all, a good part of writing books involves marketing, which is the not-so-fun part that most of us authors don't enjoy doing, but it's a necessity if you want to sell books. I think it's my turn to shut up and let you talk. (laughs) No, you're doing fine, but, um, you know, there's so many aspects to writing, and and like you said, you've done done a lot of stuff, but one of the things that I've always been fascinated with is ghostwriting. What is ghostwriting? Well, ghostwriting is writing something, a book or otherwise, in somebody else's name. Let me give you a couple of examples. One, I've had several clients who had the ideas for novels, fiction books, but uh, while they had characters and plots in their heads, they didn't uh, really have the chops to write the books, and they came to me and said, Hey, Sin, Sin, short for Cynthia, I do not answer to Cindy under any circumstances. Sin or Cynthia, that's it, take your choice. Um, Hey, Sin, uh, I have a great idea for a book, but I'm really not a writer. If I give you my plot and characters, can you write the book? And I have done so. Another aspect of ghostwriting is this. A person who is in a uh, business or a profession wherein they want to stand out as the expert in their field, possibly local, possibly national, but the expert in their field wants to write a book on their topic, whether it's Let me pick one that I haven't actually written on. Gardening or home interior design. Those are two books I have not done, so I'm not blowing anybody's cover. (laughs) Um, They come to me and they say, hey, I'll give you the information. You write the book. And they give me the info that I need to write a credible and creditable book for uh, public consumption on whatever their topic is. And again, let's go back to these two hypotheticals. Uh, Well, let's go back to home, to interior design. They give me the, the info on how to design your interior or how to pick a professional to do it for you, or what makes uh, a house really pop as an eye candy, or whatever, and then I write the book using their information, so it's about their know-how, but it's me writing it, because they're not really writers, and then they can put the book on their... Uh, reception area coffee table or in local venues or 
wherever they see fit to distribute it, other than just selling it uh, on Amazon.com and perhaps in bookstores. And when uh, prospective clients of theirs visit their place of business, they see the book and they go, oh, so-and-so had a book published on the subject, or she must and they impress their prospective clients and come out looking like the leaders in the industry. And really, the info is all them. It's not garbage. It's not bull. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm not writing the, the 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 important info. I'm just shaping it into a well-crafted book, and they get the credit. I get the money, and I don't get the credit. My name shows up nowhere on the book, <laughs> and uh, I just go to the bank and quietly make a deposit, and they get the opportunity to uh, show off their expertise, which really is theirs, and uh, impress future clients. Uh-huh. Got it? I got it. That's really cool. Um, now, you you kind of started this in your 50s, it sounds like, because it's about 24, 25 years. Uh, why did you decide to become a writer that late in life? Well, I've always been a writer and an editor for a long time. Back in yeah. the 70s, I was publishing a newspaper, an all-advertising format newspaper, which uh, I helped write the ads for. So I was writing even back then, but not books. I'll tell you, to be perfectly candid, I felt uh, awed, cowed, buffaloed, whatever word you want to use, at the prospect of writing a whole damn book. (laughs) I mean, the idea of sitting down and... and maybe not getting it ever published, and maybe having to take so much time, definitely having to take so much time out of my um, schedule to write something that might never see the light of print, Mm -hmm. uh, really had me thrown. And then... I was, at the time, editing magazines on a freelance basis. I was working from home back before, working at home or working in your pajamas. I don't literally own any pajamas. (laughs) 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 Working at home or working in your pajamas was not then as common as it is. But I was working from home editing of magazines for one particular publisher who has since gone out of business because, let's face it, the Internet has really done a number on print. Mm -hmm. But anyhow, to get back to what I was saying, I had this idea for a magazine that the publisher for whom I was doing most of my work in those days was... uh, amenable to doing occasional one-shot magazines as opposed to serial magazines. They had put together something, which I had nothing to do with, but they had put together something very quickly on John Lennon after his death. And so I knew they were amenable to uh, one-shot magazines. And I had an idea for a magazine I thought it would be a magazine at the time. Uh, my then best friend, who also worked for um, was bemoaning the fact that Christmas vacation was coming up and she didn't know what she was going to do with her two then young, now since long grown, but then young kids to keep them occupied over two weeks of no school. And I thought to myself, now that's a problem that must occur to many parents and not just her. 
And so I started thinking in terms of a magazine that would contain ideas for how to keep your kids occupied over school. Hmm. And it was too late um, to get it in print for Christmas, but I thought maybe for Easter break. So I proposed it to the publisher, and uh, the, the publisher in charge, it was a, a family, I mean families, family, a family-owned company, and the guy who was at the forefront said uh, that his brother didn't approve, and so they weren't going to do it. But I thought it was too good an idea to give up, and so I decided that if I, I if I took it to some other publisher, they might run with the idea and use their own editor, and then I wouldn't get paid for the idea for mm. for for, for putting together. So I decided to turn it into a book instead. And in those days, there were not that many children's activity books written for parents like there are now. So I wrote it and got some help from some friends in coming up with ideas. It was a number of major New York publishers, and one of the first ones that I sent it to, Berkeley, called me up with an offer. And the, when I got the phone call, I was sitting in my office, my home office, uh, working on, I guess, editing a, a magazine for, for uh, the publisher that I was primarily working for, and the the caller said, "Hi, this is Hillary Siggy with Berkeley Publishing. Have you uh, found a publisher? Have you contracted Mommy? There's nothing to do with anyone else yet. And if not, we'd like to make an offer." Well, I jumped out of my seat and started literally jumping up and down on the on the floor, just jumping up and down and trying to keep my voice as even and calm <laughs> as possible. And I said, no, I have not. And she said, we'd like to make you an offer. And I accepted their offer. It involved a decent advance, which is hard to get these days. And uh, that was my first book. My second book came out also with Berkeley. My third book also came out with Berkeley. My first book came out with Citadel, which was then another decent uh, New York publisher that has been subsumed into Kensington. And uh, off I went. Wow. That's, a, that's amazing. So... You know, we're running a little bit out of time. we got about five minutes left, and I want to be able to get into your TV shows that you were talking about, too, which is, it sounds pretty fascinating how you, how you came up with that idea. Uh, now, tell us a little bit about that and how you're trying to get, get it back into different uh, television networks. Well, Solo Parenting was the first TV show, and the second one was Younger Every Day, and that ra Solo Parenting ran for about a year and a half. And Younger Every Day ran for a little less than a year and was the better of the two shows in my estimation. But the uh, TV channel that was carrying it at the time dropped it for lack of And I found out about a new TV channel in the area, contacted them, and they uh, have told, they called me back just yesterday and said that they're rejiggering their uh, lineup, their, their, uh, what they're going to be carrying, their format, and asked me to call them back at the beginning of the third quarter of the year. So I, in my, uh, in my appointment book, a big memo, call channel 16, written on July, Monday, July 2nd, and you better believe I will be on the phone 
and on the email on July 2nd, trying to get my show back on the air. Jason, before we hang up, before we end this uh, call, may I give your listeners my uh, website address so that they know where to look my books or if they need help with writing or editing, if they've written a book and they need it edited before they either self-publish or send it to a a conventional publisher, a traditional publisher, they can contact through my website contact button to talk to me about their writing or editing needs. Or, as I said, they can just shop for books online. My website is www.cynthiamacgregor.com. And at that website, they can see my over 100 books, and they can find a contact link through which they can get in touch with me about their writing or editing needs, whether it's ghost writing or business writing or whatever. I don't do grant proposals. That's the one thing I don't do. It's specialized form of writing and... I don't do it, but most anything else. Well, thank you, Cynthia, for coming on and spending some time with us, talking to us about about what you love to do the most. And I wish you all the best, and hopefully your show will actually get picked up and and back on the air. Well, thank you very much, Jason, and thank you for having me on your show. Good luck to you, and make it a great day. We will. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have more, so don't go anywhere. Hey, everybody, this is Jason, and I have something I want to talk to you guys about. Last year, as you know, so many of my family suffered a stroke. These things come on unannounced, and it can cost you your life. Why? Because it's usually from high blood pressure or clots, and you don't know you have these problems because it generally has no symptoms. One way to ensure that you don't have high blood pressure is to test it regularly. But who has the time to do it? You have to sit down, strap a blood pressure cuff on, and take the test. And they are bulky and hard to travel with. Now there's a product called Helo LX. The stylish piece of technology not only looks good, but it tests your vitals all the time on demand. Check your blood pressure, see how many steps you've done, see your heart rate, see how much sleep you get, how many calories you burn. It checks it all while you do what you want to do. Then you can check the results right on an app on your phone. I bought it for my family members, and you should too. To get yours, go to amemagazine.worldgn.com and get it or any of their stylist accessories. In doing so, you'll invest in your health and help the AME experience get our word out and be the voice of artists everywhere. So what are you waiting for? That address again is amemagazine.worldgn.com. Hi, this is Serena Palmer from Radio Rebel and you're listening to the AME Radio Show. Sam Cooke singing on the radio You say that I'm the boy Who can make it all come true Welcome back to the show, everybody. We got on the line with us our special guest. His name is Douglas Smythe, and he is from Phoenix Shaving. And we are excited to talk to him because he does some pretty neat um uh, products here, and in fact, I've, I've had the chance to try some, and I'm excited to talk to him about how he got into this and the, some of the stuff that he has for you guys out there. So welcome to the show, Douglas. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and it's great to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So this is, you're actually the first person I've ever brought on that has products that deals with shaving, and shaving is an absolute art, and the products that go into shaving is an art form, too, and people probably don't understand it, but the art of, of being a barber and shaving and stuff like that goes a long ways back. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> there was a time where you know the, the medical industry and the in, in barbering was one and the same. Mm-hmm. And you know the funny thing is, I learned about that that little um, that little typical icon that we see out in front of the barbers with the with the uh, the pole, and it's like the red and the white and stuff like that. That means that they actually ele- they did bloodletting there too, which is pretty interesting. Yep, bloodletting and leeches at mm. that time. Got to be fun, right? Maybe You're gonna not. go in for a haircut and and and, a, and, a, and some blood loss. That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a great episode, uh, Saturday Night Live back in the seventies. They had a whole episode about people barber, mm-hmm. and that's what they were doing the entire thing. They just kept taking people's blood until they were dying. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, no. The interesting thing about that pole, though, I mean, it really what it represents is for the rags they used to sop up the blood after the fact. Mm-hmm. They'd wash them and rinse them out, and then hang over a pole out in front to dry. And when the wind blew. You would see like it looked like you know these blood red rags blowing in the wind. So that's pretty much what it comes from. Interesting, very very interesting. And in the state, then it made its way to the states, and now you see the red, white, and blue ones. But traditionally, it's just red and white. Yeah. FYI. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get into doing this? What 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 piqued your interest in into making these products, but also being in the shaving field? Well, I I grew up kind of in it. My mother was a, a stylist growing up. Uh, in the fifties, so I was always looking at her, you know, her kit, if you will. And she, my aunts would come over, and her friends would come over, and she'd do their hair and whatnot. Uh, so I kind of grew up around that happening. Um, around the same time, I got a chemistry set when I was probably about eight or nine, and I created my first perfume for my mother, actually, uh, which she still has to this day. I don't know what that says about the quality of the perfume, but um, <laughs> so I was, I was already always interested in it. Um, and then not until probably about let's see, twenty twelve, twenty. Uh, 2008, I was living in Costa Rica. I was out in Central America for about four years. And uh, surfing and playing music. I was teaching music to, for a children's orchestra down there. And I had a lot of free time in the hammock. And while I was down there, I, I, getting, I noticed I was getting bit by something. I couldn't figure out what it was. Eventually, I realized it was sand fleas. Mm. And there was nothing to really treat these bites with. They weren't out a lot, maybe in between 5 and 6 p.m. But I needed to treat them with something. And they didn't have anything like afterbite. So I invented my own call, and I was calling it Itch No Moss. And it worked. It worked really well, so much so that the uh, locals and even tourists were asking me, asking me for some. And so I was like, okay, you know, if I ever get back to the States, I'm going to make this and ship it down here. And that's what happened. Four years later, I was back in the States, and I started shipping this down to uh, Costa Rica, where it sold really well. And I actually created another product, too, called Stink No Moss, which was an emergency deodorant slash insect repellent. And the way that was activated by, was by sweating. It would release essential oil you know, environment that would repel these bugs. And it actually did better than H. No Moss. Uh, but I realized I wasn't making, I wasn't really making my money back through the shipping. So I was like, I need to do something up here. And I just focused on deodorants and then eventually mustache waxes and then shaving soap. I got into that because I was already using uh, traditional shaving gear, safety razors and a brush and soap and whatnot. So I was like, you know, this is my passion. This is something I'm really interested in, which sounds odd when I say it out loud, but I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's so interesting. But I needed to, uh, you know, just tie it into what I was doing, and uh, that's how I got here. In, I mean, in a nutshell. <laughs> so, how do you come up with your fragrances? Because I'm sure that's got to be one of the key pieces to this, because it's got to smell good. It's got to smell appealing to people. Always, nobody's going to want it. So, how do you come up with a process of what you kind of want it to smell like? Oh man, that, there's so many different ways to get to that. Uh, with a lot of my um, soaps and aftershaves and colognes, I kind of build a story around them. Uh, it's more than just shaving to me. It's like an experience for the end user. And so my labels will tell stories and whatnot, too. So I have a dry erase board. And if I have an idea in my head, like I want to tell a story about, you know, I don't know, Roswell, New Mexico, you know, the aliens crashing there, you know, some form of entertainment that involves conspiracy, I guess. And um, I'll start putting up, you know, little factoids up there, newspaper clippings. It looks like a crazy person board. You know, I do that. And slowly I'll try to connect sense to that. Like, what would this smell like? What am I trying to do here? Am I trying to create a, a scentscape, if you will, um, or a, a scent track as opposed to a soundtrack to this, what's happening here? And then, so notes will come to me like that, and then eventually I have to take it to the lab and start combining notes, different scent notes, essential oils or fragrance oils, to get where I need to. But I mean, like, in the get-go, you really need like a week to come up with a scent. You can mix it day one, but you really have to let it mature over a course of four to five days to finally get that end result. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of trial and error, but I mean, like that's what gets me close. It's just you know breaking it all down on a dry erase board. 
Now, I was looking at some of the ingredients on your products, and it looks like they're all natural. So it's not like it's going to be something that's heavily chemical-based, especially with deodorants now. People are freaking out about deodorants because of the possibility that it can cause cancer. So um, is your stuff more, mostly, uh, for the most part, uh, natural, natural products? Oh, yeah. No, my stuff is probably as natural as you can get. Uh, the only thing that's – well, I mean, I do use fragrance oil sometimes, too, because – there's certain scents that just you can't get an essential oil for. Like mm-hmm. strawberry essential oil does not exist because there's nothing to get that oil from. Mm-hmm. So you can make, in the lab, you can make a synthetic version of that. So that's where I would use fragrance oils. But um, And even then, I try to get plant-derived fragrance oils uh, that are made from you know, plant chemicals rather than uh, synthetic chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I can, it's always locally sourced. It's always organic. It's always as close to natural as possible. And uh, But as my deodorants, I do use... Uh, potassium alum but that's not to be confused for aluminum like all the nasty aluminum that you, you know you find in store-bought deodorants like aluminum chlorohydrate aluminum chloride aluminum hydrobromide uh, and aluminum zycronium like that's not the same stuff as potassium aluminum potassium aluminum is the stuff that you see in health food stores called the crystal you may have seen that like the all-natural deodorant it's like yeah. crystal you know it's the same stuff there that i use in mine and that's for a recently about sport formula that we just came up with, which is highly effective, and it's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now, you sent me that. one of these products here that I thought was very interesting, and in fact, I had to look it up because I've never used one before, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great concept. It's the No-Slip Grip Alum, uh, which is an aluminum ah, yeah. po- alum post uh, shaving block crystal. What does that do? That's exactly what I'm talking about. That's potassium alum, and that is, it's an old barber's, tr- I mean, that's an aftershave. That's one of the first aftershaves. That was around in ancient Egypt. Uh, even in the Middle Ages, I believe the Pope had a monopoly on it at the time. But it's used for water purification. Mm-hmm. It's used for pickling. To this day, you'll still see potassium aluminum in pickle ingredients. Um, and what we use it for in barbering or in shaving is as a, it's a, a, a crystal. You would wet it and just put it on your face right after you shave. And that functions as an antiseptic and a stringent. Is that kind of anything like those um, steps pencils? If you cut yourself, does it work like that? Same too? family. Same family. Same family, but it won't sting as much. Um, but yeah, definitely the same family. It's a salt, and uh, you know, it's also I should mention it's also great for grip mm-hmm. while you're shaving. If you dip your fingers in the water and touch the the, uh, the crystal, your razor won't slip from your hand either. So I should mention that too. <laughs> it's awesome stuff. <laughs> now, it really is. Your aftershave, that, I, th- I thought that smelled really good, too. It's, a, it's got a very uh, fresh scent, but it's not like your typical aftershave, either, where it has more of that, uh, that ammonia, not ammonia, but um, uh, uh, alcohol smell. So how did you come up with the concept for this? And I'm sure it doesn't burn as much because, like I said, it doesn't smell completely alcoholic like some of the stuff you get in the, in the stores. Yes, no, you're absolutely correct there. It's... Well, the difference between my aftershave and most is mine's an aftershave slash cologne. Mm. And I include some face-saving ingredients that you would typically find in an aftershave, but the all-day staying power of, like, berry white or a cologne, you know, would last about eight hours. So you don't have to mix and match anymore. It's like a two-in-one. So skin, great skin food in there and also just a, a powerful projection of fragrance. So that's where it's different. You know, originally, aftershave was invented hundreds of years ago, but we'll go back a hundred years ago. It was actually invented just as an astringent and antiseptic because people were actually dying from shaves. If the barber nicked you or whatnot, you didn't take care of that, yeah. you were going to die. Uh, Perot's brother, uh, author of Walden Pond, he actually died from something like that. So that's what it was originally for. Scent was secondary. It was not the primary uh, reason for, for an aftershave. And even as far back as 50 years ago, you'd find that aftershaves would, wouldn't typically have a matching soap. Uh, like William's mug soap, mm-hmm. it smells like mosquito repellent more than anything that it would you would pair it with. But they they weren't thinking about that. The main concern was just you know protecting yourself from picking up any germs or whatnot. Now you also gave me this uh, this Bay Rum shampoo conditioner bar. Now is this oh, yeah. is this something for hair or is this something for your your beard if you have a beard to like wash your beard with so it's a little bit stronger than a typical uh, face wash or is it actually like a hand soap or you could use it with multiple purposes? That actually is a shampoo and conditioner in one. It's a two in one shampoo conditioner puck. So rather than a liquid shampoo conditioner, it's in a bar form or in this case a puck form. So you can use it on your beard too. In fact, I I sell something very similar, some greens for the most part, for beards and mustaches. 
Hmm. Is um, this type of this type of uh, uh, bar thing? Because that's what kind of that's what kind of shocked me. Because I'm used to the liquid shampoos. Um, yeah. How is it good for? Does it? How does it work with the skin? I mean, like if somebody has a dry skin, they get they get dandruff and stuff. Does this help with something like that too? Yeah, if you try it, you'll notice that it's really conditioning. This is what they used, used to use back in the day, too. Uh, it, it just travels easier. I mean, it's great to put you put in a, a soap container, a soap pot container, mm-hmm. to bring it to the gym. It travels really well. It doesn't take as much space as a bottle. Uh, you know, if you just bring a carry-on, it's also easy to have a solid puck of soap rather than liquid soap. But, um, yeah, you'll find that it conditions. I, I think it's the best shampoo in the world, to be quite honest with you. Once you try it, get back to me. But, I mean, yeah, the conditioning effects are awesome. Hmm. So, with the art of barbering and the art of shaving, what's your idea of the perfect shave? Is it actually with some of the razors that we see today with the, like the, the typical uh, disposable razor heads where you could throw the razor heads away, or is it just using that, that perfect uh, single-edged razor? Oh, yeah. It's definitely a single-edged All you need is a single-edged razor. All we ever need is a single edge. Uh, these multi-blade cartridges are responsible for a lot of you know problems that we're seeing today, like razor burn, bumps, all that. That stuff didn't exist until cartridge razors came onto the market around 1970, 71. Uh, and the only reason why they did come to market was because Gillette was running out of, oh, they were losing the patent rights to their original designs for safety razors and double-edged blades. So they needed to create something new. And they created these new designs that were, uh, that were good for about five, uh, I don't know, let's see, 10 to 15 years it would keep them afloat and ahead of the pack. But that's the only reason why cartridge razors were invented. Um, you only need one blade to shave your face. Every time you drag a blade across your face, you take off a layer of skin. Mm-hmm. And what cartridge razors do, uh, well, the mo- what more blades do is the first blade will cut, second blade lifts, third blade cuts, fourth blade lifts, so on and so forth. So much so that eventually you cut that hair sh- so short, and if it's already a curly beard, it's going to drop below the skin and just beg to be an ingrown hair. Mm. So I mean, the, problem, the problems began right there. Another problem is the cost of these things. Uh, as you've probably noticed, four cartridge blades cost you, what, $25 nowadays? Yeah. And so you try to hold on to it longer. When you probably should have used that cartridge for maybe four or five shaves, you try to get two weeks out of it. So there's stuff growing on it, too. It's just, it's, it's not a, it's not good. Uh, granted, there are some dollar clubs out there, too, where you can save money on these things. Now, my, my, i got to ask why. Would you care about saving money if it's an inferior product? Anyways, it's, it's going to cause you problems. Mm. So I say a single-edge, be it a straight razor or be it a safety razor. And I prefer a safety razor myself, which uses a double-edge blade, which is only one blade. And, um, you know, to give you an example of price differences, 100 double-edge blades range from, like, $9 to $15. <laughs> so, I mean, you can shave it that one time and throw it out and still save more money than you would with cartridges and get a hell of a shave. Wow. So yeah. if somebody wants to build a kit to, you know, kind of give you that old-fashioned uh, barber type of feel for for uh, shaving. What would they need in that kit, and do you have that stuff that you can sell for them? Oh, yeah. I definitely do. I have starter kits of all different sizes uh, that fit all different needs uh, for men and women, but they can you know easily find it at my site, phoenixshaving.com. Uh, in the menu bar, you'll see a drop-down for shaving stuff, and it's in there, shaving kits. But what, if you wanted to put one together yourself, you would need a shaving brush. And these are made of either badger hair, horse hair, boar, or synthetic. I prefer a synthetic one myself. I think synthetics have come a really long way when it comes to shaving brushes. But you would need that. You need a soap or a cream. I prefer a hard, uh, hard soap, like a puck. Um, and then you would need a razor. And you're going to decide if it's going to be a straight razor or a safety razor. Now, if you're just starting out, I think a safety razor is the way to go. You can buy a new one from someone like me. There's many on, online that you can find. Or you could even go to eBay and buy a vintage Gillette safety razor. They're just as good now as they were the day they came off the assembly line 75 years ago. That's another great difference with these razors, too, is they're you know, heirloom pieces. You can pass this down from generation to generation. can't do that with a cartridge razor. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I digress, however. Uh, so that's the razor. And lastly, you would need a blade. And the blades, it's not one-size-fits-all. There's so many different brands of double-edged blades out there, so I recommend picking up a sampler pack at first, you can find these on Amazon. I also sell them as well. But what that means is this is the first time you can actually customize your shave to your unique face. You can't do that with a cartridge razor, which is the one-size-fits-all kind of mentality. Um, so that's what you would need. Um, the, using the brush from the get-go, 
not only does it feel great, it's that, you know, it's very meditative with the hot lather, building that on your face, but it's also exfoliating. And everyone's talking about exfoliation these days. There's all these products for men that exfoliate this, exfoliate that. I think most people over-exfoliate, which does no good for your skin. However, <laughs> with a shaving brush, it's just gentle enough to give you a great exfoliating action. And the thing is, with, with shaving, shaving itself is the most extreme exfoliation. <laughs> so, right. Stick with that form of exfoliation rather than picking up all these salves and lotions that you see on the market now. I probably missed the question. <laughs> I hope that explains it. No, you did. You explained it very well. I mean, this is something that I'm sure that most guys would like to get back into, and especially if you see the new the new styles of people coming out with, uh, you know, the beards and, and the, those pretty elaborate beards and the hair that they, I think they're called hipsters. You know, this is going to be something that yeah. they're probably going to be going back towards to uh, attain that type of uh, style. And, you know, I know I know it's important. Uh, I don't, luckily for me, I don't, I don't get too, too hairy, so I don't have to shave that often like some people do, but... Right. Um, you know, I do I do enjoy doing it right as opposed to doing it wrong. And then I've even tried some products myself where I put them on my face and it makes my face break out and I get like these big red yep. blotchy spots and I can't stand it, you know. So it's nice yeah. to see something that's natural that you can use and it, it gives you the same result if not better. Exactly. And I think it's interesting that you brought up the hipster beard thing phenomenon. And I, but I think that actually is is a response to crappy shaves and cartridge razors. Mm-hmm. I really do. Like, they, men, you see it over and over again, they're not enjoying their shaves, so they have to grow a beard. Um, in fact, Gillette was complaining recently about how they're losing money to the beard craze. This is about two years ago now. And the thing is, Gillette also, well, TNG owns Gillette, Procter & Gamble. They also own Art of Shaving in the mall, which preaches wet shaving or traditional wet shaving. So they own both horses, so mm-hmm. to speak. But Gillette was, you know, going on and on and on about how the beard craze is, is cutting into their <laughs> into their market. And the thing is, they didn't say anything about the safety razor craze or the return to traditional shaving because I think if they did, now people would be aware of it. <laughs> right. So that's my theory anyways when it comes to hipster beards. And, you know, the funny thing is it really hasn't been that long since that, that style of of uh, shave has gone away i mean my grandfather used to do it and you know my dad mm-hmm. kind of did it in the early 60s and 70s and it's just like it, it just yeah. seems like maybe in the 80s and 90s maybe with the newer the newer technology it's 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 kind of gone away but anybody that was born in the 80s or 90s would never experience that old-fashioned style exactly exactly and what's funny is the rest of the world kept doing it yeah. the whole reason why we're able to do this still is because there's blades still available out there there's lots you know there's probably a thousand manufacturers of these type of blades, but we don't see them that much in this country anymore. The rest of the world kept doing that while we turned to cartridge razors. However, now, like places like India and the Middle East, now they're picking up cartridge razors. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Now, you said something. I want to get this in before we end up leaving, uh, having, having to say goodbye. Uh, but you said that not everybody's face is the same. So different blades, you can customize the blades to your face. How is that possible? Well, different brands shave different brands of blades well what you can do is there's so many different types of razors there's open comb razors there's closed comb razors there's you know so on and so forth different types of razors but there's also different brands of blades too that have different uh, levels of sharpness to them so you can customize the razor to the blade i mean you can really you know tweak it out to the your equipment to fit your face because everyone's you know face is different you have different skin types you have different uh, hairs that's growing. I mean, some is curly, some is not curly, some is straight. The direction of growth, uh, like an against-the-grain pass for me, is going to be different than for you, maybe, because it depends on the direction that your you know, hair grows in. So that's what I'm saying. You get down to the real nitty-gritty of it and actually customize the shape for your face for the first time. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah, exactly. And this is what I'm saying. They've been hiding this information from us for such a long time. It's like conspiracy. Um, and this is something we talk about on our show um, all the time, um, is just the whole conspiracy around it. Like, it's a secret they kept from us. How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're running out of time. we got about maybe in two and a half minutes left. So please tell everybody how they can find your stuff, how they can buy your definitely. stuff, and how they can talk to you in case they have any questions. Oh, yeah, definitely. You're all, reach out to me if you have any questions. But you can uh, do that at phoenixshaving.com, which is my online store. You can also, I highly recommend you also go to I'dLatherBeShaving.com, which is our morning show. It's our Friday morning shave show. And it sounds boring. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. We do history. We do challenges. It's so endless when it comes to all the details and minutia over the history of wet shaving. 
but definitely check out at lavityshaving.com. But yeah, by all means, hit me up at phoenixshaving.com if you're interested in learning more about wet shaving. Well, Douglas, you've opened up my eyes to a lot of things, and I love your products. <laughs> I, can't, I, I cannot say too many good things about it because I could, I could go on all day. And uh, thank you for coming on to my show here and, and you know, enlightening, enlightening my uh, viewers into this and the art of shaving. Thank you so much, Jason. It's great to be here, and I, uh, I thank you again. <laughs> and shave on. Yeah, shave on. <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have more, so don't go anywhere. Jason Dowd of Imagination Art Studios is proud to announce the release of his steampunk collection, which is currently on tour across the country. There you will see beautiful handmade masks from Venice, Italy, that accentuate beautiful women to create amazing stories and feelings to those who visit the collection. Each photo series has a theme, mask, authentic props, and beautifully elaborate outfits, all collaborated in the mind of Jason Dowd to create the right emotion and feeling. The masks come from a shop at Epcot at the Italian Pavilion, where all these photos are on display for you to see. This is one of the biggest accomplishments of his career, having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them. So we're about ready to close out the Friday Drive Time Show and get ready for tomorrow's show at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. However, it is Friday, which means we're kicking off the weekend and we're closing out the work week, one of my favorite times of the, the week. You get to tie up all the loose at, those loose ends that you had from Monday or wherever it was and just focus on closing out the day and having the, the weekend for your family and friends and to go do cool things that you love to do. You know, some of the things that I like to do, I like to go to museums, I like to go traveling to old cities, I love going antiquing and seeing some old antique stores, I like going to sporting events, I like going to zoos or, or sanctuaries and seeing those amazing animals, I love to be able to go find haunted places too. I know that sounds a little weird for people, but I actually like going to the paranormal and seeing these ghosts and whatever else that's going on. And uh, see if I can catch something. You know, I think that's the the best part of the whole situation is can you actually catch a ghost? Is there? Can you be the one that catches the holy grail to prove ghosts exist? And you know, those things are elusive, but it's okay. It's it's the fun of it. It's kind of like fishing. You know, that's the way I do it. Now I am no good at fishing. Believe me, you do not want to get me on a boat with a fishing rod and hook because I will catch everybody in the boat and I won't catch a fish. Trust me, it's happened. And I actually had that something about Mary, you know, where the hook, hook catches him in the, in the lip, and in the cheek from somebody else. That happened to me too. So I don't like to go anywhere near a hook. I like fishing, but if it's going to be like a fishing, I have to go for scallops or uh, lobsters or something where I could throw a whole trap down there. That's, that's the way I can fish and nobody gets hurt except for the fish. But... Anyways, guys, uh, I had a great time with you guys today, and I'm hoping to do a Disney weekend because I need to take some time for myself. Take some time for yourself. I, I, you know, I know it's easy said than done, and I don't do it all the time myself, but mental health is extremely important, and it helps you get through the week. And if you're not mentally you know, calm and you, you're not, you got so many things on your brain, you can't do your, your work effic- efficiently. Trust me. So... Please, again, join us again tomorrow and next week at the same time, same channels. And if you don't know what those are, let me tell you really quick. First of all, you can find us every Friday at 7 o'clock a.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Drive Time, amfm247.com, and there are 11 AMFM stations. You can also find us again Saturday on the same network at 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Two different guests each show, so four guests per weekend. Check each one out. You don't want to miss it. Then we are on WKLAP every Friday at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are on Radio Love, that's RadioLUV.com, every Saturday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We're on iTunes and iHeart On Demand, so just go check us out there. Uh, you need links, are on our website. iHeart, it's just go open up, your, open up your app, go to little 
search icon and type in AME Radio Show. Sign up for us, and you'll get the show before everybody else does. It's like our little VIP program. You can also see what we got going on through our apps, and we have a newsletter sign up on our website. So go check that out, and it's as simple as that. All right, guys, we will see you again tomorrow night. Same time, same channel. Keep those creative juices flowing. Good night, everybody. That's the end. We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.